1: And welcome to the Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. I'm joined by my colleague Paul Rico. Hi, Paul. Hi, Peter. And this, of course, is a special episode of the Switzer Show in honor of International Women's Day, which was, of course, on Sunday. And we have an incredible lineup of women for you to to, uh, get a handle on how these people have actually built their careers, their businesses. And their charities. Ronnie Khan, first up, is CEO and founder of Oz Harvest. Then we'll have Sophie Cotsis, the MP, member for Canterbury in New South Wales uh, Parliament, and Rochelle Courtenay, founder and MD of a wonderful charity called Share the Dignity. Paul.
2: Well, I guess it's us as two blokes. Um, well, but, yeah, the, but in, touch, <laughs> with in touch with our feminine side. In touch with our feminine side. Look, we'll probably let the uh, these these fantastic. Uh, Ladies do the talking rather than us to add too much more to it. Yeah. But uh, look, I think they've got some great stories to tell.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a, they're great role models for, for younger women and even women of their own age who, who maybe aren't as involved as they probably could be. So without any further ado, let's catch up with Ronnie Khan, the CEO and founder of OzHarvest. Ronnie Khan, thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show.
3: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
1: Right. Now, now, Ronnie, please for those people who have been, you know, living on planet Mars who don't know anything about Oz Harvest, <laughs> explain to us what your business does and where you got the idea for it from.
3: Okay. Well, thanks so much for asking. Oz Harvest really does many things, but the idea for Oz Harvest came because I was in the event business kept seeing fabulous food going to waste and kept creating fabulous food to go to waste until I realized that that was insane, all this beautiful food, and thought, what if we could collect that food and deliver it to hungry people? Because I knew that there must be hungry people. Um, And I guess what started as an idea 15 years ago has not been such a bad idea because we've delivered almost 140 million meals from good food that would otherwise go to waste and fed it to vulnerable people.
2: So, Ronnie, that's a, that, that's a fantastic number of meals. Can you just explain where you get the food from?
3: Sure. So we collect food from anywhere in the food supply chain. So from delis and takeaways and boardrooms and caterers, hotels, airlines, um, farmers, manufacturers, producers. So anywhere within the food supply chain, unfortunately, what we now know is that there's oversupply, overproduce. I mean, if you think about a, a you know a boardroom meeting you guys might have, you might have a beautiful plate of sandwiches, and you thought there were going to be ten people, but mm-hmm. in fact only four board members pitched. That means there were a whole bunch of sandwiches left over. If you weren't going to take them out into the for everyone else to eat but there was no one there that day you'd call us harvest we'd come around and collect those
2: do you collect any food or is it a focus more on fresh food that doesn't perish so quickly
3: no we collect any food we were the first people to collect perishable fresh food mm. so that kind of food sandwiches or food from a hotel or food left over from an event but we collect fresh fruit fresh vegetables we collect dry goods we collect We collect anything and everything Mm. that is still fit for consumption in perfectly good condition. And if you would continue eating it and I would continue eating it, then we could put it on the table of someone
1: else. Mm. Ronnie, you you had regulations stopping you in the early days, didn't you?
3: Yes. We had the laws changed in 2005 in New South Wales, 2008 in the AC2, 2009 in Queensland and South Australia – and the rest of the states have followed suit to allow good food to be given away for free without fear of liability, because mm. that was a challenge and an obstacle in the beginning. Lots of people said, yes, they'd give us food, but none of the major big businesses, because they're very worried about litigation.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And so we removed, we removed that issue.
1: Now, I remember interviewing you when you were really small, a couple of trucks and whatever. But You
3: certainly did. I think when I only had one truck, you were one of the first people to interview
1: Yeah, me. and I, I, I had that feeling you were going to make a big fist of it because in particular, I think you got some very big organizations to back you in those early days. I might be wrong, but I think Macquarie might have been one of those. Is, is that my, 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 my recollections right?
3: Absolutely. They were my core seed funder, the first people to give me money. They were the first people I went to to ask for money. They gave me 50K seed funding, which allowed us to hire a driver, hire a first person and absolutely get the business going, and they continued funding me for ten years.
1: Now, Ronnie, yes. I, I know that, you know, and I say this with, with the greatest respect, that you are a very pushy woman, and that's why this business has succeeded. <laughs> but in those early days, did did you get a lot of pushback because you were a woman in a very much a man's world?
3: You know, I think because so first of all, it's a very valid question. I think that. People managed to transcend what, who I was, what my physical form was, because what my offering was was so unique. Quite honestly, Peter, you and Paul, I, I'm sure all of you at some point heard when you were growing up, eat your food because there's someone starving somewhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So in fact, I didn't have to teach anyone about not wasting food. Their parents, their grannies, their mothers, their aunts, their uncles, someone had done it for me. So, in fact, the fact that I'd run my own business before also did help that I was a business person. Mm. Yes, I say business person over a, a business woman. So, I think, I think I've been particularly fortunate in that I haven't had that many, and I, I, I know that this is unique as a woman, that I haven't had that many obstacles before me because I forged ahead regardless. And yes, I am pushy. You're probably right. Mm. But in a, I would hope it's in a positive way and in order to serve the, the good of humankind.
1: Well, I've always been afraid of that tough South African wo- woman called Ronnie Khan. And, and it's, <laughs> I think a lot of other people have as well. That's why I say yes to you rather than no. But along exactly. the way... <laughs> well, It's worked. That's right. So along the way, Ronnie, um, obviously leadership's been really important because you've gone from a small business to a a very big business. What have you learned about being a woman in the role of leadership?
3: So I have learned an enormous amount. And there's no doubt that being a woman, what I do bring and what I think female leadership brings is that combination of head and heart. And that's really what I think leadership is all about. It's not just about one or the other. I think that authentic leadership comes from tapping into your own values and tapping into the ability to get others to see that and understand that. And I think that actually probably male leaders have had a, a challenge in, in the stereotype of not being able to tap into their values and use their head and heart. Luckily, that has changed significantly over the years, but still probably not enough.
2: And, and Ronnie, apart from, uh, you know, International Women's Day, which was uh, on the weekend, and uh, the other thing that, of course, is very topical at the moment is uh, the impacts of uh, the coronavirus. And and obviously, Harvest has been very involved about, you know, about... Consumption and conscientious behaviour of consumers and avoiding overconsumption. When you think about what's going on with the virus, and we've seen issues with you know toilet paper and people consuming or, or, or purchasing you know staples. Do you think there are any lessons that, in what you've seen, that really, we, as consumers, we need to sort of think hard about?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. So first of all, I think this panic is pure panic, and I think that we've all gone crazy or those, there seems to be something that is completely illogical about our response to this. So we do know that when you overconsume, whether it's in good times or bad, it's going to lead to huge amounts of weight. Whether it's that you're buying 100 tons of baked beans because you think you're going to need them, at some point you will get tired of baked beans and you will have a cupboard full of baked beans for a very long time. So I definitely think that we need to learn from what we know and we know that buying in moderation and obviously if we have to buy for two weeks, if we're worried about isolation, we can still do this in a very thoughtful manner. You know, if we stock up on fresh produce for two weeks, the chances are that the lettuce at the end of the two mm. weeks if you haven't consumed it is going to be green and sludgy and you will have wasted your $4 not to mention what it's done for the environment. So I think we really do have to be much more logical and much less prone to this this panic that you know it, it's it's beyond understanding. Mm. And, and it's not useful to our economy, nor is it useful to, to an organization like us. Because if everybody's buying everything, we will run out of food. And we feed 5 million people. Mm. And we already know that because of the economy right now, there are more people who are going to fall between the cracks.
1: Ronnie, uh, what you've done is fantastic. And a lot of people would like to you know, assist or help you do it. What are the ways in which people can uh, help Oz Harvest do their fantastic work?
3: So thank you, thank you so much for asking because there are many ways. So there are three things we need: we need time, we need food, and we need money. So some people don't have time, so they could support by donating money. You know, when I hear people say, "Oh, I don't want to give money," you know, organisations might not use money well. We're incredibly transparent. Every dollar allows us to deliver two meals to people in need. So quite honestly, money is a huge thing. Food, if you, if if people did want to purchase or pr- provide us with tin food or connect us with businesses that we might not already be connecting food from, that is very useful. And what we talk about with time is we always need volunteers. I have over 2,000 volunteers and OzHarvest could not function without that extra extraordinary support. Yeah. So right now, particularly because of the bushfires, particularly because of coronavirus, the truth is that cash works really well and every dollar allows us to deliver two more meals. It allows us to educate Oz, you know, the citizens of our country on how to manage food, how to value food better. But we need food and we need time as well.
2: And the best way to contact you is?
3: OzHarvest.org. That is the easiest. Go to our website, OzHarvest.org. And there's so- all of those ways are iterated on the website. You can give time, you can give love, or you can give um, food.
1: All right. Now, Ron, yep. Ronnie, we Australians always love adopting people from overseas who are very successful. <laughs> and, and you are my favorite South, South African-Australian. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the program.
3: Thank you so much for the opportunity of sharing. And yes, us women have a role to play, but so do you men. We love <laughs> the combination. The two of us together make a fabulous team
1: can't disagree one little bit. Thanks very much, Ronnie. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, guys. And now it's time for a word from our sponsor. And as usual, we are the sponsor, Paul. Next Tuesday, big day in Sydney.
2: Big day in Sydney, Peter, with the uh, Switzer Investor Strategy Day. I sense, sense, sense that so much has happened in such a short oh, period yes, of time. Oh, yes, most definitely. I mean, it was only about two and a half weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, the market was at an all-time high. Yeah. And we've had uh, – so much drama because of the uh, the virus, and then the changes around the uh, the oil market, and uh, you know, I mean, it's it's an interesting time for investors, and I guess um, people are really asking the question: Have we seen the bottom? Yep. Uh, is this the time to come back into the market? Mm. And then. Look, I think you and I have got some thoughts on that, but we've got a great panel of experts and some of Australia's smartest investment minds coming to talk about that. But we're also going to focus on things like how can you protect your portfolio and
1: some other things. So
2: it's not just... we're not just going to call this the bottom, but yeah.
1: we're going to share some insights. But Isn't it funny? You, know, you and I were always going to do a piece on how to ensure your portfolio against a big sell-off, and damn it, it happened before yeah, we mean, got there. And
2: that was because we were saying this is the twelfth year yeah. of a, of a mature yeah, well, bull market, and yeah. it can't go on forever. And yeah. uh, you know, but it's also, I think, as investors, we we need to think about you know, sometimes you've got to lock in your gains and think about what your strategy is. So mm. I think this is a great, it's going to be a Tuesday uh, at the Hilton Hotel in Sydney. And then we're backing up the, the week after Melbourne on Tuesday, March the 24th, Brisbane on Wednesday, March the 25th. And we are going to Adelaide and Perth in May. So, yep. um, but uh, the, we'll talk about that on. for another day. So you so, go to?
1: Yeah. SwitzerEvents.com.au. How's that? You're very good, Peter. You, I remember that after you, all you this rem- time. After
2: all this practice, you master Okay, it. that's enough of that.
1: Right. Our next guest is Sophie Kotsis, who's the MP for Canterbury in New South Wales. Sophie is a wonderful Greek lady who has really you know, fought her way up Um, from a a working-class family and uh, has created a reputation for herself for being a pretty good MP. Sophie, thanks for joining us on the program.
4: Uh, Thank you very much, Peter and Paul. Great to be with you.
1: Sophie, there, there are lots of questions I'd like to ask you, but one I think is really important is how and why did you go into politics and was it easy for, A, for a woman... Be a Greek woman to actually scale the Labor Party to get the big tick and the and the and the position of run on the on the ticket.
4: Sometimes um, I don't know whether I've got the imposter syndrome, but I think is that really me? This you know, young Greek girl from a working class family from Canterbury, mm. who is representing the seat of Canterbury, and prior to a by election that I was uh, that was held twenty sixteen, I was a member of the New South Wales Upper House. Um, and I think what got me involved was more so my mum in an indirect way. She, back in the 50s and 60s, there was the civil war in, uh, in Greece and also mm-hmm. the, the famine and uh, poverty. And so you had that second wave of migration from Europe mm-hmm. uh, back in the 50s and 60s. And so my parents came out in the 60s. My mum had very, even, to, even today... She is not literate in her own language. So she can't write properly. And so now, hang on,
1: but the Greek writers were the hardest in the whole world to look at, apart from probably the Middle Eastern <laughs> languages. They're all hard. Every
4: every, you know, as friends as you know, friends say, everything's comes from, you know, yeah, from it's Greek. It's all Greek. From, to it's me. All Greek. <laughs> um, but from that I saw I just eldest child as well and I saw the injustice in if you don't have an education I guess it was just somehow in my head and so there was a big push from my parents to get an education and a job you got it
2: and so how did that lead into politics just go through from uh, education and how did you get involved with the Labour Party I suppose that's the first question I was
4: involved so I think uh, I was involved with student politics Mm -hmm. in high school and then at uni I got involved politics there. But it was mainly I worked at Sydney Airport Mm. and I was working with a lot of women my mum's age at the time. And so we had, there was, they get you know, getting ripped off and I got involved with the union and because I could speak English, I was one of the co-union delegates Mm. and I could read and write so I could help them out. Mm. And from that I got involved. But I think Paul Keating for me was my generation's um, he was the, an emblem of that hope and he talked about um, the importance of, of work and superannuation and to me, even though I was in my 20s, early 20s, for me um, that was really important About because that was conditioned to, by my parents. You've got to have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to fight for social justice, be involved in your community. So that was that was ingrained mm. in me, and so I took that path of um, joining my local labour branch. And uh, at the time, Morris Yemmer was um, around there, it's and exactly Tony good, Burke. So good, right
2: wing
1: ALP, <laughs> the old New South Wales right faction, yeah. But but, yes. so, <laughs> but so Sophie, what I've seen over the years, because as a young man, I was a teacher, and and my wife, who eventually became a lawyer, taught at um, Tempe High. Oh yeah, yeah.
4: my husband. My husband taught at Tempe High as well. Yeah.
1: so, And, and we actually saw that a lot of the, the young girls who were good at school would actually do a lot of work for their mum. Like they would go when they're going to either Centrelink or NRMA to fill in forms. Did, did you have that role as a young child, help Peter, helping your mum?
4: You're a thousand percent spot on. And mm. that's what happened okay. to my generation. And the girls who are older than me, they're in their 50s, they led the way. They actually broke through. Mm. And, I had to take I had to go with my mum to the doctors. Mm. I had to explain things that I didn't understand. Mm. And and also in terms of her work, when uh, in the 80s, when a lot of our manufacturing went offshore, she mm. used to work at Glomesh. And so she had no work, no skills, and she had to work as a cleaner or as a catering assistant. And I had to go with her to interviews and mm. explain. And that that I felt I felt embarrassed but as well I felt that I, it was my obligation. I had to help my parents mm. and I did all, all of that, filling yeah. out those forms and we well, were form fillers. We well, laugh about yeah, it now. Yeah.
1: But. but was the end result that it kind of encouraged you to become like the independent woman, which is unusual for an ethnic community, but you're a hopeless cook because your mum and mum does all the cooking. How did you know this? How oh, do you because know well, you, you either learn from your mum, but I know my Greek friends, they always get back, back to grandmother's place for, for food, but you're so busy. How could you have learnt all, all the, uh, the secrets of cooking when you're out there leading the world?
4: You're right. Like, I think our parents poor just husband, didn't realise. <laughs> I think they didn't realise that they were nurturing independent-minded mm-hmm. women yeah but also um, they wanted us to be educated and domesticated as well. And I think for me that the domestic part, especially the cooking, failed. Mm. So in later years, I had to rely on both my in-laws and my parents. Now,
2: the Greek community has been part of the Australian fabric now for generations. Right. Um, is it still tough, maybe not in the Greek community, but for in other migrant communities for women to be independent?
4: I think that women, regardless of which background, multicultural background, They are the the matriarchs in their family, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though it is difficult, particularly for some of our newer communities. So I've seen the Greek community has been around for 200 years in in Mm -hmm. all forms, and whether they're involved in politics or entrepreneurs, we've got big entrepreneurs in Australia that are of Greek heritage. But what I've seen in my community, Canterbury, it's very multicultural. Is some of our newer subcontinent communities um, from and refugee communities. There is still, and I understand this. I grew up like this. There's mm. a, still a little bit of fear and anxiety. And we, our, my obliga- my uh, responsibility is to um, make sure that there is that embracing of everyone. Mm. And we do a lot of work in our community to reach out and. To ensure that the young girls from those communities go through school, get a good education, we've got a great education system. Um, I mean, there are some issues in the New South Wales education <laughs> system, but yeah, so there is there are some some issues, and we deal with those with every new wave of migration. There is a little bit of that uh, hesitancy and anxiety, and and I and I went through that. My parents went through that. Yeah, you know, w- one
1: of the big challenges for you. Uh, being a a woman in politics and given your cultural background, you can't, you know, I I try not to avoid the truth. I get in trouble sometimes when I do confront it. But if you look at... You get in trouble a lot. uh, (laughs) I'm just warning you. (laughs) If if you look at um, a lot of traditional ethnic groups in this country, chauvinism is entrenched and... um, I've got lots. I've got an Italian auntie, and I've got so many Greek friends that when we bought a shop, they said, "You're you're a Greek now. You own a shop." But the <laughs> bottom line is, even the best of all my my male friends who are becoming modernized because they're being forced to, still have come from a reasonably chauvinistic background for women. There were roles that I had to play, and all that sort of stuff. Did, I was a, a a difficult thing for you when you made your. Parents understand who you are and what you're doing to help younger women coming through. Not necessarily in the Greek community. I think you Greeks have actually sorted out your men, but I think <laughs> I think also. But when it comes to the, I think the Italians as well. But I think that the Middle East and some of the Asian groups, still the women folk still have a, a lot of battles ahead of them. Do you feel as though you have a responsibility
4: to help them? Look, I think I deal with a lot of the community leaders mm. who are men, yeah. and I think that um, seeing, I think seeing more women in leadership positions, there is, there, there, you can seeing seeing more women in leadership positions, and seeing that we can work together. I think that does remove a little bit of, of um, you know, women have this particular role, and of course the the equality gap, um, you know, hasn't come hasn't come even no. regardless of what background you come from, and we're still you know women are still getting there's still the equal pay gap, mm. the women have to do more of the roles you know childcare caring for family if they're sick mm-hmm. so there's more of those caring roles, and so I th- but that that's a slow process and that's you know seeing more women and I and I've seen it in my a uh, couple of couple of uh, weeks ago i was at a hsc young achievers uh, one of my community groups lebanese community groups um, put on a, a congratulatory a celebration and the majority of the young the young people that did really well in their hsc are women mm. and it was fantastic to see getting the young women getting into sciences and engineering and engineering as you know mm. is very male dominated mm. so it's fantastic to see young women from multicultural backgrounds, breaking through with the encouragement of, of dad and mum, you know, so.
2: And, and what about sort of moving on to more the financial side, yes. not your financial side, but things like superannuation yes. and other financial issues? Yes. Is there still a gap between, do you think, between men and women? And if so, what can be done to, to close course. that gap?
4: Of course, Paul, there is a massive gap. And I've seen this, if I can start off the the women who are my mum's age, in that early 70s bracket, unskilled women, work part-time, casual, dropped in and out of the workforce. When my mum left her employment and she left um, uh, injured and pre-her mm-hmm. time, she was left with close to $10,000 in her super. Um, what that generation did was buy property as their super. Mm-hmm. That was their yep. their future. Yep. Um, unfortunately, there are... Um, I've seen, and it's getting worse, where a lot of women in that over 50s are leaving the workforce and they've got 20,000, 30,000 uh, super. If they don't have a partner or divorced, they end, there's a massive gap. Then there's the issue of housing. If they're in rent, mm. what happens then? So that there is a massive problem. And so we still, and that's why urging the government to bring forward uh, their super guarantee because they've committed to 12% by 2025. They need to bring that much more forward, particularly uh, for for women. Mm. And there is a massive gap. For us, in, in my, my generation, the, in their 40s, close to 50s, it's slightly better. But again, it depends what job you're doing and if you have to leave, be in and out of the workforce, which you do someone like me uh, put me aside in terms of being a politician but i was ill a few years ago i had breast cancer now i know that there are women that i was um in treatment with who didn't who who were casual or part-time their employers didn't understand they're not getting the super there and then they're having to leave work uh they so we have to be more flexible, and I think that this is where government and industry and unions <coughs> have to come together and rethink this whole thing about mm. flexibility, because we're going to have a lot more women living being homeless because they don't have enough. So super. just
2: just on super, I mean things like the catch up concessional contribution, which when announced by the government now law, I think the Labor Party opposed, which I couldn't work out why. Mm. Is is that are those things going to help, or is it just? view perhaps they're just not sufficient to actually help close the gap?
4: I think that we, uh, one of the other things that the, the Labor Party, Federal Labor, looked at at the last election was superannuation on parental leave mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I think that there needs to be, um, and, and the, the pay gap, the difference, if you're an early childhood worker and you're in, the, in that industry for the next 20, 25 years, 30 years... Your super is going to be a lot less because your income is a lot less so we do have a long way to go in terms of retirement savings and we need to look at being flexible in different ways of helping especially women and like I said the statistics are quite stark when I'm seeing a lot of older women who are now falling through the cracks and are living homeless Mm so
1: Sophie one last question and once again, this could be a little bit on the, the risky side, but here we go. <laughs> but but, but given, given the fact that all all human being beings fall into an irrational mistake, and that is, we enjoy ourselves in the twenties. And in the 30s, we think it's a wise idea to get married or partner up with somebody and take on a home loan and probably bring a terrorist into their life called a baby. All (laughs) these things happen in the 30s. But because we're irresponsible in the 20s, we haven't built up our super, and which could help solve some of the female problems for super, provide they're in a reasonable job in that period, 20 to 30. How do we encourage young women to become... The very responsible people they often become <laughs> in the thirties when they marry some stupid bloke who really <laughs> needs somebody So to so my way of thinking, how do we encourage young women to start embracing financial independence at a much earlier age so they can get that money into super so it rolls over, rolls over.
4: You're absolutely right. And I think your programme is fantastic to push that message. Love you, Sophie. Love you, Sophie. <laughs> But also getting, um, uh, there has to be a, a government industry union campaign yeah. and a coordinated campaign to get through, even at high school, mm. you know, even in high school, even at primary school level where they've got banking at school, mm. where you start planting the seed, particularly with young girls, yeah. about savings, retirement savings. Mm. I mean, of course they'll go, oh, this is, you know, it's got nothing to do with me at the moment, mm. but it's just getting that education out there. And mm. I think we can do it. Mm. Um, and young women in their 20s are, you know, out there and the world is at their feet. But mm. it's making sure that we get them to, to save a little bit extra and... Um, yeah. And we
1: we'll have to teach them about prenups so if they do marry a drongo, <laughs> they can never get that super of theirs as well. I mean, you can see I've got a whole strategy there for young women. You do, you, you do. Know. You've got, it all, you've got yeah. a cupboard pen. Right. At the risk no. of being just a bit in I've got just granddaughters, now. Craig, I've I got think, granddaughters yeah. now. I had sons see, on the not, way. Got, yeah. hey, I, know, I want to look after them. Look, Sophie, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you. And I hope one day we see Premier Sophie Cox. Oh, p- <laughs> 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 Thank you. <laughs> Talk soon.
4: Talk soon. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be Jodie McKay at the next election. <laughs> okay. Okay, right, yeah, let's go for it. Okay, so
1: again, it's time for a word from our wonderful sponsor, the Switzer Group. Paul, quickly just recap on the strategy days coming up. Yeah,
2: on Tuesday in Sydney, at uh, the Hilton Hotel, Tuesday the 17th of March, and then the following Tuesday, the 24th of March in Melbourne and the 25th of March in Brisbane. Great opportunity. Uh, and I, a lot of things to talk about, Peter, but we covered that before. But so w- how do you get tickets? You go to Switzer Events, all one word, SwitzerEvents.com.au. But hurry, because they're going quickly.
1: Joining us on the program now is Rochelle Courtenay, who's the founder and non-executive managing director of Shared the Dignity. Rochelle, great to see you.
0: Thank you. Nice to be back again.
1: Uh, and, of course, you know, Paul Rickard here as well, hovering as he always does. Yeah, in a nice way. Thank you, Peter. Um, Hovering, I like that. And we actually know that it was 2018 last time we spoke to you. And you're up for awards. Did you win any of those awards?
0: I don't think I took any of the gongs out, but I don't know that I was there for that. I was there just to make sure that everybody knew what Share the Dignity was.
1: Yeah, and with good reason. Explain to my audience what Share the Dignity does.
0: Yeah, so five years ago, I started a, a charity called Share the Dignity, which is about ensuring that women are afforded the very basic of essentials. And we do two dignity drives a year in March and in August, where we put collection boxes out through many different places but Woolworths being one of them around the country where people can just buy a packet of sanitary items um, and pop them in the collection box. And then Mm. we work with thousands of charities around Australia to ensure that they then have those products to give out to any women who are experiencing homelessness or fled domestic Mm. violence or, you know, the 3.2 million Australians who live under the poverty line.
2: So do you work closely with uh, women's shelters and refuges and other other you know community community groups providing services to the uh the the poor and people challenged yeah
0: yeah so we are really just the conduit between the woman and um the and the and the charities Mm. that we work with so when we look at who we work with we work with probably about 40 percent of indigenous communities Mm -hmm. so and indigenous charities um and then we're looking at nearly every domestic violence shelter in Australia because, unfortunately, their budgets don't, you know, just don't stretch far enough to be able to provide sanitary items and it's not like you're giving a woman a warm jacket and it's keeping her warm for years. This is a monthly problem and it's Mm. something that for many women in Australia, there is still a shame and a stigma around it. So, for many women, they still won't even ask for sanitary items. So, having to use socks and newspaper and watered-up toilet paper is a reality for many of them. Uh,
1: Give us some numbers uh, Rochelle, so we can understand how many women are in this vulnerable position.
0: 173,000 women turned to homelessness services last year. That's like two football stadiums. Every bum on seat right. is a woman that didn't have somewhere safe to call home and probably couldn't afford the very basic of Were necessities.
1: Were new additions to the to the group of people who are in that situation? Or well, that's kind of the, that's the, the total num- number yep. that for that year. Yep. Was that a, a rise on the previous year? Yes,
0: it was. And every year it seems to be going up and up and up. So that number is different to mm. those that we um, surveyed and asked whether they were experiencing homelessness. Mm. So these pe- And, you, you know, for many women who have fled domestic violence, they actually can't get shelter and they can't get somewhere to stay in the first mm. place, so...
1: And... and- Why do you think it is on the rise?
0: Uh, I think that we're looking at many reasons. We're looking at um, the fact that some women are now prepared to leave from Mm -hmm. domestic violence, Mm -hmm. but we do not have enough placements out there. We do not have enough places for them to turn to. Um, We also have rents on the rise. We have electricity on the rise. We have fuel on the rise. Women cannot afford to take care of themselves and their families. So living in their car is unfortunately for many the only option.
2: And so just talk about the distribution uh, of of the product. I yeah. mean, you've obviously got people helping you. You've got a volunteer network. I mean, just how do you actually get it to in, in the right hands?
0: So. Yeah, logistically, Share the yeah. Dignity is this massive big train. So we have what we call... Shiros, so they are our female volunteers. We have six thousand of these incredible That's people.
1: The, the combination of she and hero, shiro okay, and shiro. a hero. So yep. we have
0: shiros um, in Australia. So we have you know nearly six thousand of those. Yep. Um, whether they're in Bendigo or Ballarat, they help in their own neck of the woods. So yep. they are the actual voice and the, and the people who make happened in their neck of the woods so that enables us to wherever they're donated they stay in that area and they then have a relationship with the community centres that look after the poverty stricken the domestic violence shelters and the homelessness hubs and they just get straight to those those products get straight to them mm. where we have overflow in some areas like um, in Sydney CBD where we collect more than what we would need in this area they are shipped with the amazing support of national storage who and cope who help us get them logistically, into great big pallets mm-hmm. and get them out to those in remote Indigenous communities like Bathurst Island and um, Echo Island and, oh, there's so many, there's mm. so many different, there's 2,200 remote Indigenous communities in Australia.
2: So, so getting 6,000 sheroes or volunteers, is yeah. that, that doesn't happen overnight. How did you, um, how do you go about doing that?
0: Look, I would probably say out of those 6,000, we probably have 5,950 who are female. Right. Um, I just don't think that there is a woman in Australia who wouldn't be empathetic to another mm-hmm. woman having to use socks or newspaper or wadded up toilet paper to deal with it. But period. to get
2: them registered and enroll them, I and mean, we just, yep. just go through the process? Uh, I mean, we
0: yeah. So we, Word of
2: mouth? Is it just a lot of really good networking, community engagement? Well, you, to
0: start with, you know, like we're, we've just turned five years uh-huh. old. So I think our charity has grown so fast and one of the things... One of our biggest issues is IT, so we still use um, Smart Sheets, which is like Excel mm-hmm. on steroids I I had a little
2: I thought we forgotten about Smash. Yeah, yeah, so yeah.
0: Well, we still use it. Let's like on steroids, right?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It is. But you know, I'm sure there's better ways to be mm-hmm. able to manage. But yeah. there's so many different components to our charity. So people just register. We then are very lucky to also have um, be given workplace by Facebook about four years ago to be able to communicate mm-hmm. to our um, volunteers to be able to get the the job done. So they register and they've come into workplace into announcements and then into their own group. So whether yeah. they're in Victoria and then they're in regions. So we mm-hmm. set up the country in what we called fire regions. So if they're, they're all in those communities so that they can all help out with that distribution Mm. area.
1: Did the bushfires create more women in difficult situations?
0: Yeah, and depleted us completely of any stock that we may have been sending out to remote Indigenous Mm. communities. So Mm. it sure did. But there was, and I think when we've looked at natural disasters before, like Townsville flooding, we could send product from New South Wales to Townsville directly to be able to to help that. But we had so much of Australia in crisis Mm. that we didn't, and it was changing all of the time. So, wherever we were trying to get product to those communities that were on fire, and those women were, they don't, period doesn't stop for anybody no. really, nor does the basics of washing your hair or having a toothbrush and toothpaste. Mm. So, we were able to get them some of those bags that we had put aside to get out to remote Indigenous communities. Mm. Um, we were just in awe of. How kind people were, yeah. and how we could get it on a train. Well, what we call it, the dignity train. How somebody would take it from Melbourne CBD down to wherever it needed to go to in in, in and Melbourne. And people
1: would do this as passengers. They take it. Take oh, the they bags would take the it. Train. These
0: cheroes are the most incredible, amazing yeah. humans that you've ever met. Some of them would drive three hours to meet somebody else at another spot, and then they would like, drive. Like them
1: Pony on. Express. It is.
2: Uh, and what about the uh, actual product? I mean, you said Woolworths are helping you with a dignity drive. Who also your supporters in terms of uh, the the uh, the sanitary napkins and so yeah, forth. Yeah,
0: look, we have so much support from so many. Woolworths actually give us five cents from the sale of every sanitary item oh. in store as well, as from last five year. Five
2: cents per item.
0: Per item, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's equated to over a million dollars in the last 12 mm-hmm. months for us, which has really enabled us to kick into gear some of the... Um, other really important work that we do like measuring the impact that we've had in Indigenous communities. Rolling out um, I created a w- was a world first dignity vending machine so that vending machine dispenses a free period pack and we put them in, we install them in homelessness hubs and community centres some low socioeconomic hospitals mm-hmm. um, and places they cost us $10,000 mm-hmm. a pop. So we've now installed 156 of those machines around Australia but our goal is to get 1,200 in Installed in the next um three years. Yeah.
1: So, um, Rochelle, what did you do before this, and what encouraged you to do this?
0: Yeah. Look, I just um. I read that article five years ago and I just couldn't believe that this was happening in Australia. And I had my own personal training business and at that stage I asked all of my female clients to bring me a packet of pads or tampons for every wine they had that month. (laughs) I did okay. So we ended up with about 450 packets of pads and tampons. Um, But we also put a collection box in um, one of our local counsellor's office and so forth. So, um, yeah, so it was just really I couldn't believe that nobody had done anything about it. When I researched it, it wasn't the first article to ever... Yeah. Who wrote be, that article? It right? was Mamma Mia who'd written that article. Okay. Yeah, and, I, you know, we'd been in contact with Mamma Mia and the journalist and just thought how nice it is that, you know, they wrote something and somebody acted on it.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. How big can this get then?
0: Well, we would really like to see Share the Dignity go worldwide. So I spoke... Um, overseas in Miami on um, ideas remaking the world. Mm. And obviously it's not a problem that's just in Australia. It is a global issue. Mm. But until we fix our IT and learn to be able to manage 6,000 volunteers and 2.5 million packets of pads and tampons in logistically and out, we can't actually even go to New Zealand. Mm. We just need to sort ourselves out right now on, on getting a computer program that fixes our entire of everything.
1: And who's the greatest producer of sanitary products?
0: A Libra. 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 Libra is the only Australian brand yeah. that's made here in Australia. Yeah. Um and
1: Internationally, do you Internationally,
0: know? I'd say you buy Kotex. That mm. that whole brand there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. We would certainly love their support. I, yeah. think that, I think that together we could end period poverty in the. You know, definitely in Australia, definitely then in New Zealand and then where we go to from there, it's just a matter of people being able to, you know, know that they can make a difference because with our charity, you give a packet of pads and tampons and it's directly going to somebody who it's going to help.
1: And finally, how can people get involved and help you?
0: Yeah, there's many ways that you can help. One, the most powerful thing you can do is use your voice mm. and to talk about Share the Dignity. Share our social media posts and let people know that this is actually happening. But head to any Woolworths Australia-wide and donate a packet of pads or tampons or head to our website and donate $5, $10, mm. whatever it is that you can
1: afford. About, will we accept 100?
0: I'd accept anything that will make a difference to a woman in need.
1: Yeah, well done, Rochelle. Thank Best you. Enough. Thank you. That's Rochelle Courtney, who is the founder of Share the Dignity. Well, Paul, I think we've done a lot to uh you know, encourage people to believe that we are in touch with our feminine side with the show today.
2: Look, I hope so, Peter. Uh, I know that wasn't our motive. No, it wasn't.
1: <laughs> it's we, sort I, of like we
2: have talked collateral some, benefit rather than the collateral. We have damage. we have talked to some great guests and yeah. uh look, inspirational, one, inspirational doing some fantastic things. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that particularly was highlighted by uh, by Sophie was uh the challenge around sort of you know women and empowerment and money and mm-hmm. uh, i guess that's where we come in a little bit yeah. uh and obviously you know, we would we'd love to we can help financially with um the sanitary pads, I'm not sure that you and I can get too involved in, in making them or no, helping in any way no. like that. But not uh, with my stitching capabilities.
1: We can but, find money but, and we can help them raise money. But too.
2: there are some inspirational people, and I think this just shows you. I mean there are some women doing some fantastic things out there.
1: Without a yeah. doubt. That's the show for this week. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch up with you next week. <laughs>